welcome to the Reward Europe podcast, your weekly roundup of the most interesting trends and developments in performing credit, stress and distress, restructuring and post to York in the European and CMEO markets. It's Tuesday, June the 13th. I'm Caterina Dassier. Coming up this week, we will discuss French care home provider Orpea, ahead of the deadline for creditors to vote on its restructuring proposal on June 22nd and why some dissenting creditors are urging fellow creditors to reject it. We will then delve into why alternative communication service providers or outlets have caught the attention of distressed investors and restructuring advisors in the UK. And finally, we will talk about British sport car maker McLaren. Amid concerns, the group will run out of cash despite receiving more than £1 billion in equity injections from its owners and investors. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. We haven't talked about Orpea for a while, a company we have been covering, but it remains topical. Since last week, we have published a few updates on the group's ongoing restructuring. Indeed. So we are fastly approaching June 22nd, when nine classes of creditors and one class of shareholders to Orpea are due to vote on the group's restructuring proposal, which the care home provider is trying to get implemented under France's accelerated safeguard procedure. This is significant because Orpea will be the first major test of the new restructuring regime in France since Pierre et Vacances last year. So for a bit of context, I'll just remind listeners that Orpea's proposed restructuring plan is expected to equitize 3.8 billion euros of unsecured debt. It includes three capital raises, which would result in a group of investors led by Casta Depot, as, uh, also known as the Groupement, getting 50.2% of the company's capital, while the unsecured financial creditors would hold about 49.4%. Existing shareholders, if they decide not to participate in the capital increase open to them, would only hold about 0.4% of the capital of the company. I see. And uh, there are some stakeholders pushing back against the plan? Yeah. So there's been some ongoing challenges to the proposed plan for a variety from a variety of groups. One of the big issues these groups kind of have with Orpea's plan is that the proposal expressly uh, excludes uh, other unsecured creditors from participating in a 200 million euro uh, third capital increase, which is part of the restructuring plan, and also excludes other unsecured creditors from uh, the second capital, uh, capital raise. Now, a few months ago, a group of unsecured creditors representing about 500 million euro of Orpea's unsecured debt, uh, also known as the Support Club, and a minority shareholder group called Concerto O, submitted an alternative restructuring pro- proposal. These groups claim that their proposal provides better terms to unsecured creditors and shareholders, the details of which can be read on our website. And now, yesterday, uh, the support club again urged other creditors to vote against Orpea's proposed restructuring uh, proposal, calling it stealth nationalization. The support club claims Orpea's proposal tramples on 1.9 billion euros of unsecured creditors who are not supporting the plan. The dissenting creditors, which include investors Fortress, Kima, LML, LMR Partners, and Whitebox, 
also claimed the proposal arbitrarily favours and enriches the French state's investment vehicle, Caisse de and certain creditors, primarily French, over most others, and threatens and it threatens also France's uh, sustainability for foreign investment, the, the group says. And what happens in the event the creditor classes don't vote in favor of the plan? Yeah, it gets interesting. So unlike the traditional safeguard procedure, the accelerated safeguard includes provisions for cross-class cram-down. This means that if a restructuring is not approved by all creditor classes, the plan can still go ahead and bind all creditors. Crucially, cram-down must have the consent of the debtor and should abide by the absolute priority rule. The absolute priority rule, which is borrowed from Chapter 11 of the US Bankruptcy Code, provides that senior classes must be repaid in full before junior classes or equity. The support club anticipates that the French state will pursue a cross-class cram-down via the board of Orpea, a group of French banks, and the CDC. The support club said this would force all creditors to accept a significant undervaluation of their stake in favour of the CDC, uh, and said that the deal should not be sanctioned without the consent of all classes, and the group argues it would breach at least two French laws. They argued that the nationalisation has to follow due process to maximise the value of the company and added that if the Concerto have been willing and pointed out basically that the Concerto have been willing to put out put in more euros for less equity. Secondly, other creditors on their preemption rights should have the opportunity enshrined in French law to subscribe to any equitization, which so far they have been denied, the dissenting creditors said. In the case of a cross-class cram-down, the support club argued it and the other unsecured creditors should be allowed to subscribe to the second capital increase. Okay, very complicated. And uh, last week we published an article about an independent report published by the support club, which was critical of Orpea's valuation method. Yes, so last week the support club published a report claiming that Orpea's enterprise value should be closer to 9.8 billion, which is higher than the valuation published by an independent expert report commissioned by Orpea, CDC and Steerco, and Steerco, um, which was part of the draft of their restructuring proposal. Um, that valuation was in the range of 6.4 billion. So the support club report, which was completed by Ricole et Lasteri, is also critical of the valuation method used by the independent expert as it claims it disregards the OPCO-PROPCO valuation method despite the high value of Orpea's real estate assets, the, the group claims. It also believes that Orpea's report, which was done by Sorgem, um, it basically believes that the method for calculating the company's valuation relies on particularly conservative assumptions to forecast future group cash flow, um, claiming, say, saying given the development investments made over the previous period and market trends. Um, we actually delved into this proposal in a bit more detail um, in an article, so I really would urge our listeners to, to check that out. Thank you, Andrew. We'd like to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience. So please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. Hi folk, you brought a sector insight on UK fiber outlet providers. 
Can you give us an overview of the sector and tell us what's happening there? Sure, Katharina. Uh, let us first understand that alternative communication service providers or ARTNETs are fiber-only companies that are meant to provide really fast broadband service. These are startup-like companies with long-term funding requirements to build infrastructure and gain market share. So this is different from the legacy telecom service providers, uh, the likes of BT or Virgin Media O2, that are around for a while and dominate the broadband market. So in 2020, uh, the UK launched a £5 billion broadband rollout program called Project Gigabits, which was supported by government subsidies. The goal was to ensure that underserved or hard-to-reach areas have access to fast internet over the next decade. By incentivizing new players, this scheme opened up the broadband market, otherwise dominated by BT's open reach division. As a result, Artnet providers announced ambitious network rollout targets across urban and rural areas. So this net network expansion was supported by significant funding from private equity investment and lending, leading to more than 100 Artnet providers in the UK. However, the sector's dynamics have changed over the past year and a half. The sector's earnings growth remains at risk due to a combination of factors, including high infrastructure build costs, low revenue, and a challenging macroeconomic environment. So this is why investors are uh, monitoring this sector for potential opportunities. This is very interesting. I was wondering if you could elaborate on how exactly these factors will affect outlet providers. Sure. Uh, investors are concerned that cost inflation, supply issues, high debt servicing costs and lower revenue outlook could hamper the sector's fiber deployment plans. And in that case, alternate providers with inadequate funds will be unable to raise capital ahead of an impending, impending liquidity event and many of them will underperform business plans and breach covenants, which can create pockets of distress across the sector. And there are signs of it already. For example, last month, Broadway Partners, which is a rural network builder in Scotland and Wales, went into administration after being hit by high costs. Uh, in April, we reported about Truly, a uh, Kent-based alternate provider that breached covenants and was brought by uh, Vauban Infrastructure Partners in a distressed M&A sale. And so which particular companies are most vulnerable to these headwinds? Well, uh, in this report, we have written about companies that are that our sources flag to us as ones they are monitoring. Um, it's a mix of large structures such as uh, City Fiber and Hyperoptic and small ones like G Network and Atomnia. However, it's very difficult to say which ones are the most vulnerable because most people we have spoken to are at a very early stage of their assessment of this sector. So these alternate projects are capital intensive and require funding over their life. It can take several years before revenues can come in. On the flip side, these companies need to keep investing on their network rollouts till they achieve a certain threshold such as like 25% or 40% minimum market share to become financially sustainable. So the key question here is whether they can hit that threshold before funds run out. Thank you, Farouk. British sports car maker McLaren has been saying for months that it will soon reveal details of a recapitalization plan to fix its liquidity. It has received more than a billion pounds in equity since March 2020, but continues to burn cash. Reporter Declan Bush has written about the company. Declan, welcome to the podcast. Okay, thank you. So if the shareholder have put in so much, how is McLaren in distress? Well, it is and it isn't. 
The company used to sell close to 5,000 cars a year, but COVID and problems more recently rolling out its new Artura supercar model mean that's down to around 2,000 a year now um, since the pandemic. It's been burning a lot of cash and hurting from higher capex and lower margins. Now, Bahrain's sovereign wealth fund, Mumtalakat, owns 60% of McLaren's shares, and it alone has put in £345 million in equity injections since last July to keep the company going. Um, Aries Management and the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund have also put in £400 million last year. Overall, it's taken in more than a billion since March 2020. So... This shows the support is clearly there and the bonds have gone from the low 70s or thereabouts early this year to the high 80s now. But the company hasn't given much detail about what this recapitalization will look like on the last few earnings calls. And some investors wonder whether McLaren can last on its own without the top ups from the shareholders. Um, one other thing to note is some bondholders are a bit wary about the asset securing their debt. So McLaren sold, for example, uh, £100 million worth of its heritage car collection last year, and before that its headquarters for a sale and leaseback transaction. Uh, and if you go further back, there was a dispute in court in 2020 when the company proposed a J. Crew style deal. You can read more of the history of that on Reorg. Um, so the bondholders say that, you know, they're a bit wary. Uh, they say they're basically happy, but it's a bit of a bizarre situation. And so Declan, what does the future hold? It's hard to say what any deal will look like or if there will be one, whether more money will come. Um, we've heard that the company will go to the preference, sh- the preference shareholders, Aries and the PIF, not the bonds if it wants to do any kind of compromise. Um, The cash burn should slow down once McLaren gets more of these Artura cars to market later in the year with, you know, the supply chain problems start to unwind. Um, But ultimately, the question is whether McLaren will partner up with one of the bigger car makers, the OEMs, like Aston Martin has done, to shelter it from these big cash swings and help it invest in things like electrification and hopefully, hopefully secure its future. Thank you. Very interesting, Declan. and FinDots are at the 27th annual global ABS conference in Barcelona. Come and meet us on stand F17 to talk to our experts and learn more about our coverage. Join Bjork alongside Cleary on June 28th at 2pm BSD for the webinar Navigating the Regulatory Crossfire – How Sanctions Impact Debt Restructurings. For a deep dive into the most relevant sanctions impacting international creditors in Russia and abroad, including bond infrastructure issues, licenses, and Russian countermeasures. Register now at Rior.com or email marketing at Rior.com for further information. More details on all the situations and events discussed in this podcast are available on our website, Rior.com. We hope you can join us next week for another Reorg Europe podcast. Until then, have a great week and thank you very much for listening.